This is McKenna Collins, host of Table Talk. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. How's it going, everybody? This is Keith. And Katie, host of Coffee with Keith and Katie here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. When you're done here, I hope you'll check out our show, Coffee with Keith and Katie. Where we talk about our lives and relationship over a cup of coffee. A new episode airs on Facebook Live every Monday and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of Coffee with Keith and Katie. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House media. The latest headlines. The Houston Astros, the defending World Series champions, got better adding Garrett Cole. The insightful interviews. Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible. With how much emphasis is put on the position, yet how many over the last couple of years we've had questions, why do we put such an emphasis on drafting a quarterback number one overall? The bottom line is there's not enough good quarterbacks to go around. And I think with the new CBA, it's really a low-risk gamble now. If you look at the playoff teams, the common denominator, good quarterback play. The hottest takes. I think the guy to blame is the one guy who hasn't left yet. I think Russell Westbrook is one of the bigger problems in Oklahoma City. Can all be found on Press Row. Broadcasting is part of the Public House Media Network. Here's your host. It doesn't matter what your name is. Christian Heimel. Welcome to the program, everybody, on this Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Christian Imel here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us with your friends and family. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, and, of course, thephmedia.com. You can head to the website, thephmedia.com. Get yourself some awesome cheap seats gear, help support the show, continue to make us one of the fastest-growing sports podcasts in the country. We certainly appreciate your guys' support. As always, you want to get in touch with the show, Twitter and Instagram handle at PressRowPHM. You can Facebook us, PressRow by Public House Media. Feel free to email the show as well, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. We've got a lot to get into. Capitals, Vegas, that is your Stanley Cup final. Uh, teams, Capitals making their first trip uh, in about 20 years. Vegas, their first trip ever. We'll touch a little bit on that. Celtics answer big at home in Game 5 to take the uh, series lead there and a chance now to close out uh, and advance to the NBA Finals coming up on uh, Friday night. Game 5 tonight in Houston between the Rockets and Golden State. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, Your listener questions, as always, also coming up. But we're going to begin with, obviously, the biggest story in sports, which came out yesterday. The uh, NFL owners at their owners meeting in Atlanta unanimously, and I use that with quotations because the New York Jets abstained from voting, but unanimously uh, voting in a new policy with regards to the anthem. Uh, And this was in response to, obviously, all the protests that have been going on the last two seasons in the NFL. And we got to stop using protests, first off, number one. Um, They're demonstrations. They're not protesting the flag. They are using the anthem as a platform to demonstrate um, as opposed to protest. That's the first issue uh, that we need to get rid of. Um, But they want to put a stop to these demonstrations, put a stop to the kneeling during the anthem, and these things that are, quote-unquote, bad for business, that are upsetting fans, that they believe are turning – TVs off or turning them away from their product. Um, The new policy basically saying any team personnel, including players, must stand and show respect for the flag and the anthem if they are on the field at the time of the national anthem. Replacing it, it used to say they should stand. It didn't say they had to. It didn't require them that they had to stand. They could have. They could sit. They could kneel. They could lie down. They could, you know, plank for all we cared. but it did require them to be on the field. So what they've done is instead switched it around to say, you don't have to be on the field anymore, but if you're going to, you have to stand uh, and show respect for the anthem and for the flag. What that means, 
We'll find out. Um, you know, it, and, and it shouldn't. This is where I have a lot of issues. Um, you know, again, unanimously approved minus the New York Jets because they abstained from voting. But I have a number of issues with this. Um, the first is, as I mentioned earlier, we got to stop calling it a protest. They weren't protesting the national anthem. They weren't protesting the flag. And by using that word, you give a negative connotation to the act that these players are doing. They're demonstrating. They're finding a way to bring awareness to social injustice, uh, which they had every right to do. Uh, the NFL had no policy on their employers. Um, they had no nothing in the contracts that said you couldn't protest or demonstrate or show cause for whatever it is that you're trying to bring awareness to. There was nothing against that from a national anthem standpoint. Now, I know from uniform standpoints, they've had these issues before, D'Angelo Williams most notably with wanting to wear special cleats for his mother, his sister, his aunt, everybody else in his family who had breast cancer, and the NFL wouldn't allow him to do that because it wasn't up to league uniform standards. So the NFL never had those with regards to the national anthem. Um, now that they do, it looks bad on the NFL. There's nothing, listen, whether you agree with it or not, I don't agree with it, but it is the NFL's legal right, as it is any company, business, or entity, or employer in general, to mandate and dictate how their employees act while in their service. For instance, if you're a carpenter, if you're a bartender, if you're um, an accountant, your company has the right in your contract to tell you that while you are on the clock, while you are working for them, you cannot protest certain things or show demonstrations in certain ways. They have a legal right to do that. So the NFL has a right to do this, whether you agree with it or not. And I understand that, and I respect that. What I don't like is that this is a non-solution to the wrong problem. The problem is not that players are demonstrating during the anthem. It's not that they're taking a knee in uh, awareness of social injustice. The problem is that these owners think it's bad for business. The problem is these players were forced to be on the field because of paid patriotism. And if you don't know what that is, little history lesson for you. Beginning in 2009, the Pentagon started spending millions of dollars for paid patriotism. Events from full flag displays to reenlistment ceremonies to surprise homecomings um, all in the field, paid for by the Pentagon. There's an article in USA Today from 2015, November of 2015. Since 2009, more than $9 million from 2009 to 2015, so over six years, more than $9 million was given to professional sports franchises. And I beg your pardon, that's in just four years. That's in just four years. $6.8 million for quote-unquote paid patriotism. Six million of that went to the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons getting the most, around 880,000. The Wing of Patriots, 700,000. The Atlanta Braves, 450,000. All of this in an effort to try and boost morale, increase a sense of jingoism within the country. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. And that's where the issue has become. The NFL, by requiring their players to be on the field because of this sponsorship, essentially, partnership they had with the Pentagon and the Department of Defense, it gave their players a platform, and they didn't have any policy against that. Now, you can have your own um, opinions on whether or not the military and the DOD, the Department of Defense, should be spending money at sports franchises. You can have that debate all you want. But it's how things work in sports. I worked in minor league baseball for four years. I myself personally was the representative of a minor league franchise to the United States Army, to their recruitment division in a specific region. I was the one who negotiated their contract. They sponsored our national anthem. We worked out en enlistment ceremonies. So whether you agree with it or not, it happens and it's common practice in the professional sports world. There's nothing against that. What my problem is is that now by doing this, by requiring these players to stand if they're on the field, you automatically put players in a position that if they are not on the field, they are protesting or they are demonstrating. You automatically put your employer in a terrible position. Or 
now because of all these things, what's more likely going to happen is, and what has happened over the last 24 hours, is the assumption that the owners are silencing their employees. They're taking away their First Amendment right. Which, again, the NFL has the legal right to say what their employees can and cannot do while wearing their uniform while, quote-unquote, working for them. Just like the Department of Defense, the government has the right to censor its soldiers, its military personnel, when they're in uniform. There are certain things they can and cannot do. Um, So it's a common practice in the professional world, not just sports, but in the business world as well. That Those right there are the two biggest issues. Number one is any player who is no longer on the field is going to be assumed as demonstrating or protesting. Number two is the fact that people are going to believe that you're silencing those who have been the biggest critics. The biggest critics, the people who have done the most demonstration, are Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. They don't have a job. They are filing a grievance through the NFL Players Association. So you have that issue right there. Number three is this idea of show respect for the flag and the anthem. What does that mean? Does that mean they stand at attention? Does that mean hand right hand over their heart? Does that mean hand straight at their side? What does that mean? What is that? How is that defined? The other problem is that this policy says that uh, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, who, by the way, is an employee of the owners, is the sole decider in terms of punishment for protesting, uh, which would probably fall under the idea of conduct detrimental to the team, uh, which is a a one-week salary or a four-week suspension under the CBA. So that's the issue. Um, However, the league, there, there are instances where the players maybe do protest, and there's so much of it that the league can't do anything. There's a lot still here to be hashed out. The initial reaction is, of course, very bad because of what I mentioned earlier, those two things. Number one, it looks like you're silencing the players and their right, their American right, to demonstrate. However, the NFL has a legal right as an employer to prevent people from doing that, uh, to prevent their employees from doing that. Number two, you're going to put your players like, like, um, like Chris Villanueva, the offensive lineman, the Army veteran from the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who say he's not on the field, say, you know, he's getting taped up. He now looks like he's demonstrating against something, whatever it might be. So I don't think this was very well thought out. I think this was a quick solution, quick non-solution to the wrong problem. Again, the bigger issue with all of this, and this has been my stance and the stance of many people, is that we're focusing on the act and not the reason behind it. And the NFL, over the course of the spring, voted a couple weeks ago for an $89 million quote-unquote task force, basically, that to help players with their platforms in terms of social issues or their causes, whatever it is. So that looked like a step in the right direction, and then this happens. You're not focusing on why Colin Kaepernick was demonstrating or why Eric Rhee was demonstrating or why D'Angelo Williams wanted to wear pink shoes or dyed his hair pink. You're focusing on what he's doing, and that's the issue. That's always been the number one issue. And when we wake up and when these owners and, – and, and, look, there are media members who are starting to find these owners that are have donated millions of dollars to the Trump campaign, and because the president bashed the NFL, now these owners are scared for whatever reason. Stop it. Okay, that's, that's an immature way of looking at this. It really is an immature way of looking at it. Stop saying that just because someone donated to a political campaign, it's all political. This is bad for business for these owners, and it is a business standpoint because if the Pentagon and if the DOD continues to pay for the sponsorship, like any sponsor, they're going to want to pull out. You know, They're going to want to because they don't want their brand associated with that. It's, a, it's purely business. Now, for some, it might be more political, and I don't doubt that. I don't doubt for a second that Jerry Jones finds it to be a little bit political. I don't doubt for a second that... Um, uh, you know, Seattle, they don't find it a little bit political. Uh, there's no way John Mara and the New York Giants would allow that. Now, what Chris Johnson and the New York Jets have done is tremendous. It's a good job by them to allow their players a platform. 
That's one of the other things. It's the most important thing that I've talked about with regards to all of this. When you have that ability and you have a name and you have an opportunity in the public eye to change something, it is, in my opinion, your moral right to do so. Now, should you be doing that at your place of work? Probably not. And that was my biggest thing with Colin Kaepernick was, I don't care that you're kneeling during the anthem. I don't care. What are you doing to solve the problem? He's actually doing something. It's one thing to show support or to you know wear wristbands like I have for cancer awareness. It's another thing to donate, to help raise money, to go visit people in hospitals, to go visit people um, in, you know, in jail, in rehab centers. Do something about it as opposed to just showing something about it. That's the most important part. There's still a lot of this that's going to get hashed out. And trust me, yesterday, I was livid. I was not happy with this. I thought it was stupid. The idea that the owners were tossed around this idea of a 15-yard penalty, if anybody demonstrated during the anthem, that was one of the most asinine things you could have had. That, to me, would have turned me off from football completely. I would have happily had my Sundays off, gone golfing and barbecued all day, and not watched football if that was the case. But again, it's the NFL's legal right for this. It's their legal right to do it. The players... It's up to them. If they really want to bring awareness and they really want to make a difference, it's up to them to do it away from football. That's on them. And it's on us as fans to understand that. And it's on us as fans to stop trying to fight for the players to do whatever they want on the football field and then maybe follow their lead off the football field and do something about it. We'll get into actual sports when we get back. NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Final. We're closing in just a little bit more. Your listener questions as well. You're on Press Row. This is Sam Kirby, host of Cinema Stories here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Cinema Stories, where we hang out and just talk movie and TV news and reviews, and it's awesome. A new show comes out every single Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Cinema Stories. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. May 24th, 2018, Game 5 last night in the NBA Finals. Boston Celtics uh, putting a one on the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers at home. Pivotal Game 5 there up, uh, up at the TD Garden. 96-83, Boston wins, take a 3-2 series lead. They can close out Cleveland on the road where they have struggled. They're just one, I believe it's just one in seven uh, on the road so far this postseason. Uh, might be a little less than that, one in five I think maybe. Um, but the Celtics played well uh, last night. If you had a chance to watch it, Jason Tatum played very well. The Celtics did a tremendous job defensively. Once again, the Cavaliers really struggling from three. This is what the Celtics do. They, they break you down from three-point land where you're not as effective. 26% from downtown, the, the Cavs, 9 of 34. That's huge. The Celtics forced 15 turnovers. Meanwhile, they only committed eight uh, they themselves shot 33% from three. Uh, a big spot, obviously, the foul line. Celtics 21 of 23, uh, making more foul shots than the Cavaliers attempted. 12 of 19. They out-rebounded the Cavs 45-39. They just flat-out outplayed them uh, last night. And I thought it was really, really telling um, last night in the fourth quarter. Uh, this is going to be probably an unpopular opinion for most, um, but... I think LeBron James is starting to finally show signs of fatigue. This is a guy who is in his 15th season, and he's been averaging so far this year. He played every single game, and he's averaging 
um, 37 minutes a game, 41 in the postseason. And I think he's finally starting to slow down a little bit. His three-point shooting has gone down in the postseason. His points have gone up, yes. Um, his assists have stayed the same. His rebounds have relatively stayed the same. But if you look at last night's game, in the fourth quarter, he took just four shots. That was all he took, four shots. And the only one he made was a layup. Um, let's see. It was a layup that came very late in the game, 414. Um, you know, to play, and, and that was just not. That's not the LeBron James we're used to. He's not take a guy taking four shots. He had 18 shot attempts heading into that. He was 10 of 18 heading into the fourth quarter, and he finished 11 for 22, one of six from three. Only got to the line four times. That's not LeBron James. The Celtics did a tremendous job defensively. Um, they held him to just 10 points, six rebounds in the second half. He had 16 and 4 at halftime, and they changed defensively. And I think you're starting to finally see the problem with this team is that it is just LeBron James. Everybody's been saying it. It's LeBron James and a couple of others. Nobody really steps up tremendously for this Cavalier squad. Every now and again, you get a good game from Kyle Korver, maybe from Kevin Love. But LeBron has been playing 37 out of a possible 48 minutes a game this year. And I think the toll is starting to finally catch up to him. Uh, in his 15th season, I think it's finally starting to get there. And it's going to be pretty evident, especially with these off days, You know, only having one now to travel. You saw it in Game 3. He was a different player in Game 3 in that 30-point win. Um, he only took 12 shots in that 30-point win, 27 points, but 12 assists in that game. Um, and he was just a different player. On Monday night in Game 4, in that 9-point win in which they had to hold on, he played 42 minutes, 44 points, 5 rebounds, uh, and turned the ball over 7 times. I think you're, again, I seriously think you're starting to see a little bit of fatigue. Now, the Celtics play so much better at home. Brad Stevens knows how to coach his players up, um, and this team feeds off of it. I think uh, I'm starting to come around on the idea of how important home court advantage is in these um, in these NBA games because I see the way the Celtics feed off that energy at home, and it's a completely different atmosphere. Jalen Brown, for example, averaging 20 points a game at home, 12 points on the road this postseason, 17 points for him on 4 of 15 shooting. Jason Tatum, 24.7 rebounds. Al Horford, 15 points and 12 rebounds. He's a different player at home than he is on the road this year. Um, you look at him on the road in this postseason, 15 points and 7 rebounds in Game 4, 7.7 rebounds in Game 3, but at home, 20 points, 20 and 4, 15 and 10, 15 and 12. He's a different player at home, as are most of these guys. So uh, there's something about this, and I think that the Celtics are going to have the confidence going in. They're going to have that killer mentality because they know. I think they know, and I think Brad Stevens understands it in the locker room and will tell them this. When it's just them and LeBron in Game 7, LeBron will not allow that team to lose. I think game if, if Game 7 happens, I think Cleveland has a better shot at winning Game 7 than Boston has at winning Game 6. Um, and I think... Brad Stevens is really going to have to coach his guys up and tell them, listen, you guys got to play your butts off to be able to win this game because you don't want to go into game seven at our place. I know that they play better at home. I know that the Celtics are a much better team defensively at home than they are on the road, but there's something about LeBron James that if you're a Celtics fan should scare the living crap out of you because he does not like to lose in game sevens. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, game six tomorrow night, obviously, in Cleveland. It'll be big. If the Celtics win that game, it's going to be, and I think they got a little close in game four. They got humiliated in game three. You saw them fight back in game four. They were down eight with a couple minutes to go. Um, and then you saw them hold off Cleveland making a couple of big runs last night. So I think the Celtics have the confidence. I'm not going to say they're going to win, but I definitely think they have the confidence to go out there and win. A team that certainly has a lot of confidence heading into Game 5 is the Houston Rockets. Um, 
Rockets-Warriors Game 5 tonight, series tied at 2 because of a big, big win from Houston uh, the other night in which uh, they come away with a clutch 95-92 win at Oracle uh, to send the series back to Houston, tied it to a piece, and now they've got home court advantage back once again. And that's a big thing for them because they played well in Game 1 and lost. They played dominantly in Game 2 and then got absolutely annihilated, 41 points in Game 3. So to come back the way they did is a huge statement, and it's a big testament to Chris Paul and to James Harden because they did play so well. Um, it's a big question mark now for the Warriors because of guys like Andre Iguodala, if they're going to be able to play. I don't know how healthy Steph Curry is. I think that's something that should probably concern Golden State because he did not play well, and he has not played well in this postseason. Um, Steph Curry, other than the third quarter of games three and four, has not played very well. Um, has not been the Steph Curry that we're used to. I know he had 28 points, but it's been Kevin Durant. It's been the Kevin Durant show in these Western Conference Finals. Um, and Durant, again, 27 points, 12 rebounds the other night. But there's something about this Rockets team. There's something about James Harden when he decides to turn it on and be James Harden, be the MVP. That is much like Russell Westbrook, and I've said this all season long. When Russell Westbrook decides to, and when James Harden decides to, and when Kevin Durant decides to, they're just like LeBron James. They can take over and impact the entirety of the game. They're that talented. Um, that being said, Houston at home tonight is going to really need this win. I know I said it in Game 1. I said Game 1 was a must-win for Houston because that mental blow of losing would be the detriment to them. They've proven me wrong. They fought back well. I did not think they'd get to this point. I really did not. I thought they would be in an elimination game tonight if they lost game one. Uh, but to their credit, they have figured out a way to change it. Um, and again, I think the biggest question is going to be Steph Curry. Curry has struggled outside of, again, the third quarter in these last two games. He had 17 points in the third quarter. He scored 11 straight points in that third quarter. And then the other night in game three, he had 18 points in the third quarter. However, he has not been the Steph Curry we've expected so far in this postseason. When you look at this and you look at his numbers in this series alone, just this series, uh, he's had great point totals, don't get me wrong. Um, oh, this is the last two games, 28 and 35 at home. But on the road, 18 points, 16 points. Shot 7 of 19 in game two in that 22-point loss, 1 of 8 from 3, 1 of 5 from 3 in Game 1. He was combined 2 for 13. He was combined, if I remember, he was 3 for 20 through two and a half games of this series. Uh, at halftime of Game 3, he was 3 of 20. And so far since then, he has been, let's see, 10 of 18 in the last game and a half. So you hope if you're a, a Warriors fan that he's turned the corner and he's Steph Curry again, but he hasn't been passing the ball that well. Uh, three assists total the last two games. Um, he has been scoring more, but I think a big question is how healthy is he? How healthy is Andre Iguodala? How healthy is Klay Thompson, for that matter, after he went down with his right knee? I mean, I know that turnaround jumper he took but at the buzzer that he missed, but he struggled a little bit. He looked like he got banged up. There, there's a, this is a Golden State team that their biggest vulnerability is their health, and I don't know how healthy they are. It'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. And I, 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 I'm hesitant to say that the Rockets can win this game because I do think that they're talented enough to do it. And at home, it's a, it's a big mental, like, like we were talking about with Boston, it's a completely different team at home in these Houston Rockets. And they played this post this regular season they won in the regular season. They took it seriously enough to be in this position where, if need be, Game 7 is on their home court. And if they win tonight, they're guaranteed at least that. They're guaranteed at least one more home game. And, and, and that's the most important part. You know, and, and Chris Paul's playing a lot better. Um, they played much better defense, and again, without Andre Iguodala, because this is a Warriors team that when they have Iggy healthy he can certainly impact the game. But 
I don't know how much they're going to have him tonight, if at all. Because when you have him in there, you don't have, you know, uh, Kevon Looney in there playing just, what, a four points in 26 minutes, taking six shots, that's it. No, you have Iguodala in there getting 12, 13 points, nine rebounds. Um, you're not relying solely on Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, which gives you another body to wear down this Houston team, this smaller Houston team. So Iguodala's health is probably going to be one of the biggest keys for this Rockets team tonight. I'm hesitant to say the Rockets win. I would not be shocked if they do, much like I wouldn't be shocked if the Celtics win tomorrow night and head on to the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. But this is what we expected. This is what we've been waiting for. We finally got a good game out of Golden State and Houston. We can only hope for more of the same tonight. Enjoy it. Game 5 tonight when we return. Some other headlines across the world of sports. Uh, more news from the NFL. Some more policies not related to the anthem, but still related to the start of the game. OTAs this week. Who's there? Who's not? And what does it mean the most of? And then, of course, your listener questions. And the Stanley Cup final is set. We're going to have a first-time champion in the NHL. Washington and Vegas. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we're really excited for it. We certainly hope you are, too. I'm Christian Heimel. You're on Press Row, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. This is Ryan Pierce, host of Completely Serious here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Completely Serious, where we talk about sports and have fun with great guests. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of Completely Serious. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. little queen to get your Thursday morning started. May 24, 2018 here on Press Row. Christian Imel with you, broadcasting as we do each and every week on the Public House Media Network. Don't forget you can get in contact with the show via social media, Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM, Facebook page Press Row by Public House Media. Uh, you can also email the show Press Row at PHM.com, excuse me, Press Row PHM at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter as well at Chris Heimel, C-H- R-A-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. Subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com. Of course, thephmedia.com is where you can find all the information you need to know about us as well as uh, get some awesome cheap seats gear there. Started off talking about the show with regards to uh, the new policy on the anthem in the NFL. That kind of overshadowed an actual rule change um, that was voted in yesterday as well, the owner meetings, and and that's about the kickoff policy, the kickoff changes that are now going to be here um, in the NFL with new formations for the NFL, um, with the idea uh, to try to eliminate some of the collisions that they have. And I know that Mike Westhoff, who's been a long time uh, special teams coach now with the New Orleans Saints, former the New York Jets. Um, they, he's been a big proponent of a lot of this stuff. He has been uh, really kind of there, hoping that his, you know, his thoughts actually get put down on paper. And now, as we look at it here, um, it seems as though these are actually going to happen, and that it was voted in yesterday. Um, as we look at it new changes with regards to um, kickoffs and in terms of ejections to try to bolster uh, player safety. Kevin Seifert of ESPN has done a tremendous job um, 
the primary changes now for the uh, kickoffs showed that, first off, concussions five times more likely to happen on kickoffs than any other play last year in 2017. Uh, nine special teams coaches, again, Mike Westhoff being one of the big ones, um, being a part of this plan to be able to help try and eliminate some of these high-speed collisions. So, first and foremost, the elimination of running starts for kickoff coverage teams. So now the only player that actually has momentum going forward when the ball is kicked is the kicker. What used to be was you'd have the kicker lining up seven yards behind the ball and then everybody else five yards, and as soon as the kicker passed them, they'd all start running, get up to top speed, and have a big giant collision. Now they can't make their way down the field until the ball is actually kicked. Pretty solid, simple one, easy there to understand. Uh, eight of the 11 returners aligned in the setup zone, quote-unquote, within 15 yards of the ball. So before what it used to be, you only needed um, you only needed five there within those first 15 yards, and then the other six could kind of be spaced out. Now what they're saying is they're going to change it around almost more like a, like a punt, kind of, where you've got eight, essentially, linemen up front in that 15 yards, uh, where you're not having those full-on collisions, and then the other three can be back there a little bit more. Um, no blocking within the setup zone, so you can't actually have contact within those first 15 yards until the ball touches the ground if it's not caught. Uh, no more two-man wedge blocks. They got rid of the wedge a w couple of years ago, the three-man wedge, and now you just can't link hands, link arms at all, um, or it's going to be called an illegal block. And the kickup team needs uh, five guys on each side of the ball as opposed to uh, what used to be allowed. You could have you know seven guys on one side and basically blow somebody up uh, because they're not being blocked. So there are a couple of other changes in there. Um, kickoffs dropped about 20% from 2016 to 2017, but it was still, again, as mentioned, five times more likely in kickoffs than it was um, in uh, any other play. This is one of those times where I think the NFL got it right. And, and I know that they've caught a lot of flack for trying to you know, soften up the game, quote-unquote, um, but th these things are, it, it's, it's a real important issue that needs to be addressed, and that's player safety. Uh, it has always been that way. Where it needs to be really addressed is those hits across the middle, you know, targeting, which I think um, they are proposing or they did uh, actually put into place now. Um, the targeting rule is similar to, to college, where it's no warning. If, if they deem targeting, you're automatically kicked out of the game, which I think is great. Um, you know, launching with your head and all that stuff uh, goes back to forcing players to make a more legitimate, fundamentally sound tackle, which will certainly help. Uh, more than anything else. Um, that being said, I also don't believe at all that this is going to impact the game. I think this is, uh, you know, in a negative fashion. I think it will impact the game in some stretch. I think what you'll see, actually, I think you'll see more players taking the ball out of the end zone instead of kneeling down because now that these guys don't have that running start, now that you've got more blockers up front to actually block instead of waiting for them to get, I don't know, 30 yards down the field to try to, you know, get a little... Uh, peel-off block on someone, you might actually see them get more space. It might actually make the, the, the kickoff more exciting, I think. Because think about it. If you've got, if you're that one guy sitting all the way in the back, or two guys sitting all the way in the back, and eight of the 11 guys coming at you, really 10, because the kicker doesn't really make it past the 50-yard line that much on kickoffs, if eight of those guys have already been blocked a little bit and at least slowed down, you just gotta get past one guy and make it interesting, instead of trying to get past three or four. Um... So I think it helps with player safety. I think it improves the ability for an exciting play. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of for this. This is one of those ones that I think the NFL actually got right. Uh, one of the other ones here that they've talked about, all ejections will be reviewed to confirm if they were the result of flagrant acts. Um, replay review includes all ejections. It was the final piece of a rule approved in March. Penalize possibly eject players for lowering their helmets to initiate contact against an opponent. Again, this is imp important. This is important uh, to note because, again, player safety has been one of the probably the second most important thing. And I know it's going to upset some of the you know get off my lawn crowd that oh you know th th they're they're softening the game, they're making it less you know fun. No, they're making it less violent. They're making it they're actually preserving football here. I think. They're making it so that future generations, parents, the current parents, the sons and daughters of that get-off-my-lawn crowd will let their kids play football because they're starting to see that 
if the game at the top, at the highest level, is getting safer, in order to prepare them for that, the game is a trickle-down effect. If it's safer at the top, it'll get safer at the bottom to prepare the kids, not vice versa. It's not going to be more violent at six years old than it is at 26. So don't think for a moment that this is a bad thing for the NFL. By changing the kickoff rule, by allowing... You know, by forcing uh, targeting to be an automatic ejection and by replays. Because referees get it wrong. Giving them an opportunity to change it is important. Um, and one other final note here on, on this kickoff thing um, that was is really kind of important. If the concussions don't drop further, um, if the numbers do not improve to the league's liking, the chance to eliminate kickoffs would be discussed for next year, for 2019. So we'll see how it goes this year. But I like these new rules. On the kickoffs, I love it on the ejections. I think it's incredibly important. Um, and now that reviewing ejections uh, can be part of that replay is, is really important. It will not be, um, you know, it, it will not be part of a challenge, I don't think. You can't, you know, like, for instance, Mike Tomlin isn't going to challenge if one of his guys, um, you know, Ryan Shazier, if he's fortunate enough to walk again uh, and to play football again, excuse me, it wouldn't change a chance for him to challenge if his if Shazier gets ejected, you know, or if um, Von Miller gets ejected in in Denver. It wouldn't change that. It wouldn't allow that to be a challenge. But I do think this is important that the ejections would not be um, ejecting a player for targeting was not going to get approved unless you could review it in, in case something happened. So gives the referees an opportunity to make up for a mistake. It further underscores the point to make everything a little bit healthier in the NFL, try to make it safer in the NFL and preserve it for future generations. Because again, the parents watching now of these eight, nine, 10 year old kids, they're the ones that need to see this game get safer. Before, otherwise football is going to start slowly dying out because it's going to become that violent sport. So the folks my age, the mid twenties, early thirties crowd, we're seeing how violent it is. And many of us are saying, no, I don't want my kids playing football. But if they start seeing it get a little bit safer, it might change. And I think you could actually save football by doing this. I'm not saying eliminate kickoffs, but you need to do everything in your power to make everything a little bit safer. And I think the NFL actually got it right here with this one. So that's a, that's a pretty solid move there by them. Uh, a couple of other things to note here. Um, in the NFL, OTAs this week, a number of people not there. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones isn't there. Um, Zach Martin for the Dallas Cowboys isn't there. Um, let's see, who else isn't there? Jalen Ramsey for the Jacksonville Jaguars not there. Aaron Donald not there for the Rams. Anthony Barr for the Vikings. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski not there for the Patriots. Obviously, Mark Ingram is not there uh, because, I mean, he's, you know, there's no real need for him to be there. Um, but interesting to note that, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. is there for the New York Giants. And that's, I think, a huge thing. I think this has been big for Odell and for Giants fans, is that he has, ever since the issue with the Instagram story or the Snapchat video or whatever it was with him in the white substance um, and the girl in that hotel room in Europe, ever since that showed up, he's been, I don't want to call a model giant, uh, a model citizen, but he has been a little bit more of a mature human being with regards to it. And, and it's important that he does do that because this is the final year of his rookie contract. If he wants to get paid, he's going to need to be more professional, more mature. He's going to need to show that he's capable of growing up and doing all of those things. Um, and he's got an opportunity now with this Giants team when he's fully healthy with Sterling Shepard, with Evan Ingram, with Saquon Barkley, with a revamped offensive line, and with Eli Manning, uh, and a defense that if it gets just a, it got a little bit better with Alec Ogletree, that they could do something special this year, and he knows he could be a part of it, and he knows that his success this year is dicta it will dictate the rest of his future. So important for him, um, he needs to show not just the Giants, but anybody else that he is worth the risk that his paycheck is worth the potential risk of off-the-field stuff. So, especially with a brand-new coach, a first-year coach, a brand-new offensive system, smart move for Odell Beckham, mature move for Odell Beckham to be at OTAs, at minicamp, 
learning this offense and getting healthy again in the final season of his uh of of his contract. So, good move by him to actually be there. Um and then, you know, all the other non-notables, I know a couple of you guys have questions as to who's the, probably the biggest one. Um I think it's pretty obvious. There are two really really big ones. I'll get to those in a little bit um cuz you guys did submit a couple of questions about that, but I will say this, Patriots fans, don't worry. The fact that Gronk and Brady aren't there doesn't really matter. Um, you know, they're they're going to play for as long as they want. Um, yes, it's the first time in a long time that Brady hasn't been there for OTAs for you know without an injury. But at the same time, these guys are you know Brady's in his uh, early 40s. Gronk has had multiple injuries over his career. These guys are they're going to be there. They've committed to being there. It's the Patriots. There is no need to concern in New England. So they'll be just fine, uh, even if they don't show up um, until mandatory camp. Again, these aren't mandatory yet, but it'll be interesting when it all starts to happen. So uh, when we get back, we'll touch on uh, your guys' listener questions. A couple of you have submitted them. We appreciate it, as always, on social media. And then it's finally here, the Stanley Cup final that nobody expected, nobody predicted for the first time ever. A, or not first time ever, obviously, but for the first time in a long time, there will be a first-time champion in the NHL. Somebody will be host, hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup in a uniform that has never been held by Lord Stanley just yet. It's all coming up here on the final segment. This is Press Row. I'm the Greg. And I am Dave Show. We host the Greg and Dave Show on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you're done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out our show, The Greg and Dave Show, where we talk about strange, bizarre, and sometimes just downright quirky news stories that you may not have heard about. A new show comes out every Wednesday. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And hey, thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. Back and over and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Oh, imagine Elvis in Vegas right now with all the party that's going on all week long. Vegas Golden Knights, their first season ever, headed to the Stanley Cup final against the Washington Capitals, who win a huge game seven. Good on the Caps, by the way. I mean, listen, I, I lived in that D.C. area for, for almost 10 years, and, and I remember when Ovechkin was drafted and they thought it was the saving grace and this was the start of a long line, a long tradition of uh, of a rich history of Washington Capitals uh, hockey. And, and it's great for them to be there. Um, really impressive to see that, see them come back the way they did. You know, I mean, they, they took a quick two games to none lead and then struggled in three straight and had to fight for their lives in back-to-back games um, and, and they did that on the road, too, uh, no less. So congrats to them, uh, to both teams, for making it. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about when I talk hockey. I, I just, honestly, I watch the games, and I, I see what you know I think is a solid team. Um, that being said, I, I really, truly feel like this is Vegas. Like, they, you need... I think this series goes six. I think Vegas wins it in six. Um, and the reason I say that is because Marc-Andre Fleury right now looks like a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Now, I know the last one he won on the bench, but he still won two when he was there, and he's been so good. Braden Holtby's been tremendous. Braden Holtby has been phenomenal for the Capitals here uh, this postseason, especially last night in Game 7. Um, the way he was 29 saves, uh, in that game and was just tremendous. Second straight shutout um, against the best 
offensive team in you know the NHL the regular season held scoreless for the last almost eight periods the last two and two third games uh, Braden Holtby held them down and so this is going to be a lot of fun to watch those two go back and forth but the experience I don't think the bright lights of the Stanley Cup final will be too much for either of these teams obviously Vegas the first time ever but um, and, and Washington it's the first time they've been there since they got swept by the Detroit Red Wings 20 years ago so uh, like I said, I'm not going to pretend to know what I'm talking about here, um, but uh, I, I will tell you this. It's going to be a great, fun series. Um, two really good stories, and, and, and the Capitals is going to get overshadowed by the best story in sports, in my opinion, um, which, of course, is that of the Vegas Golden Knights and what they've done in their first year and what it means for that city after what happened with the um, the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival, the shooting that happened there just a couple days before the season. Um, but it, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I hope you enjoy it no matter what. I do think, ultimately, though, that it is Vegas in six. Uh, that's who I'm going to be pulling for as much as I, I do like the Capitals, and I think they'll be a great story um, for them. Um, you know, the hit on Brooks Orpik last night certainly doesn't help. It certainly adds fuel for Washington, but ha- not having him uh, there potentially for the first game or two, um, who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here um, with him, and hopefully you just hope he's okay because that was a a, uh, a big-time hit um, that he took uh, late in that second period. So, um, yeah, I- enjoy it. It starts on Monday night. Um, it'll be fun. It'll be good, uh, good fun hockey, physical hockey. And uh, listen, like I said, I'm going Vegas just because I think it's a tremendous, tremendously exciting uh, story, a great story there as well. Get to your listener questions as we do every single week. You can always send them to us on social media. You can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can find us on Facebook, Press Row Podcast by Public House Media. Or you can uh, email the show Press Row PHM at gmail.com. Uh, first one coming in uh, from Jason in Pennsylvania. Biggest, uh, biggest deal for being absent from uh, OTAs this week, Aaron Donald of the Rams or Le'Veon Bell for the Steelers? I think it's Le'Veon Bell. Here's why. A- and listen, don't get me wrong. Aaron Donald deserves money, uh, but he's he's entering the fifth year of his rookie contract. And what you've seen more so since these rookie contracts got changed out is that most teams are going to let them play out. I get he was the defensive player of the year last year, um, and he wants an absence. But that off that defensive line is going to be just fine. The Rams, I, I firmly believe that he'll be there sooner than Le'Veon Bell. The reason why I think Bell is a bigger deal is because this is now the second straight year that this has happened. Um, and I know training camp is... You know what's going to be most important if he actually shows up. I think you'll see Aaron Donald at training camp. I don't think you'll see Le'Veon Bell there because um, that Le'Veon Bell, the, for the second straight year, firmly believes. He, he, the fact that he keeps getting franchise tagged is unbelievable. This is a guy who deserves that kind of money. And I think he's felt scorned enough where he's prepared to sit out and hold out until he gets that long-term deal in Pittsburgh. Um, or maybe he just reluctantly plays and then decides you know what, I'm not going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler after this year. So who knows? Um, I mean, stayed away until September, still almost had 2,000 yards last year, uh, even though it was a much slower year for Le'Veon Bell. That being said, this is a Pittsburgh team that has already undergone some turmoil. I don't care what Ben Roethlisberger is saying, that it was, uh, you know, what he said about Mason Rudolph and why would he help him is in jest. I don't believe that for a, a second. Last year you had a lot of issues in the locker room. Antonio Brown with his Facebook Live nonsense um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger contemplating retirement, then saying he's going to play, you know, three more years and, and, and all of this stuff. The Steelers have a lot of issues to work out offensively. I don't think the Rams have as many issues to figure out defensively. I think Aaron Donald will be there. I think you will see him with a new deal because the Rams are smart and they'll hold on to him because they know they're right there on the cusp of possibly winning a championship. So bigger deal to me is that Le'Veon Bell is not at OTAs right now because I don't think he's going to be at training camp. I don't think he's going to be, um, you know, showing up until, you know, the first real week of the season, honestly, uh, when it really matters. I don't think that at all um, because I think he's been fully scorned by the Steelers enough, and I think he's over it. I think he's done. 
Um, that's just it's just my opinion from an outside standpoint looking in. Uh, let's see here. Um, Michael in New York, the Jets traded Christian Hackenberg for a seventh-round pick. Does this fully supplant them as one of the biggest draft mistakes ever? Um, yes. <laughs> um, when they went out in two years ago in 2016 and uh, took a second-round draft pick on Christian Hackenberg, a guy who many people said couldn't hit water if he threw the football from the beach, um, it, and, and a quarterback class that wasn't good to begin with, trading for trading a second-round guy, a quarterback who has never played a game, never taken a snap in the NFL for a seventh-round pick, that is kind of the definition of a of a bust. Um, kind of the definition of it. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's really really bad. Um, did not play well at Penn State. Uh, did not practice much. He was the fourth quarterback on a four quarterback death chart a couple of years ago. Um, his quarterback coach, when he got in as a rookie, had zero experience with the quarterback. Had two offensive coordinators during his time with the Jets. Um, they did not help him at all, but they sent him to the seventh round pick for a condition or sent him to the Raiders for a conditional seventh round pick next year, uh, possible seventh. Um, it's, it's really impressive. And you know, who knows? John Gruden is apparently, apparently likes this kid and I don't see it. I don't understand. Hackenberg gets a fresh start. He gets a chance to play with somebody else. Um, a chance to maybe figure out something there in Oakland. I don't know if John Gruden is the guy to fix it for him, but then again, this is also the guy who you know took Brad Johnson to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. So maybe, who knows? Maybe you be surprised. Derek Carr, EJ Manuel, um, and Connor Cook as backups could be interesting to see what happens there with Christian Hackenberg. Um, in 2016, when he had the quarterback camp. Um, said about Hackenberg, he just has to get in the right system with the right people and refocus on the small details. Uh, also said he would be shocked if he wasn't drafted in the first round. He wasn't traded now for a possible seventh-round pick. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say that um, Christian Hackenberg has officially, and, and the Jets have officially admitted to him being probably one of the biggest draft mistakes in their franchise's history. Uh, last one here, uh, Lucas in Milwaukee. As of right now, the season ended today. The Nationals, the Cubs, and the Di and the Dodgers would all miss the playoffs. Which reigning National League Division champ do you see most likely reaching the playoffs again? Um, I, the National League right now has been insane to watch. I don't know. I, I know it's only May twenty fourth, and we've only been in the season for two months now, but. Oh my goodness, the Braves are phenomenal. So much fun to watch. The Phillies are exciting. The Pirates have been so much better than anybody would have anticipated after trading Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon. The Colorado Rockies, who you know were a late you know surprise last year, are still there. Milwaukee Brewers, who last year had a great start but faded, they're seemingly like they've got it together. The Diamondbacks, after getting rid of J.D. Martinez, haven't skipped a beat offensively. Um, even though they have lost seven straight. That being said, I do believe that of those three teams, the Nationals, the Cubs, and the Dodgers, the one team that I would put money on, which, hey, you know what, now we can, uh, the one team I would put money on to actually make the playoffs again would be the Washington Nationals. Um, I don't think the Braves' bats are going to continue to do this. I think they have a solid pitching staff. I do. I like them. I like Atlanta a lot. The Phillies are still, I think, one piece away. And who knows? It, you can hang around long enough to the trade deadline and make a move. It changes everything. But Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg. Um, we can go on and on and on. Howie Kendrick is batting over 300 for this Nationals team. Um, they have played very good baseball. The Braves and the Phillies have just been better right now. But... Michael Taylor has been very good uh, for this team. They just called up Juan Soto, who hit a home run in his first at-bat as a major leaguer. Uh, the 19-year-old Anthony Rendon is a decent player for them. Um, you look at Wilmer Defoe, who can play multiple positions for them as well. This is a, a Nationals team that has all of the tools. They're right there. And again, that rotation, 
even though Gio Gonzalez hasn't pitched well, Tanner Rourke, Steven Strausberg, Max Scherzer, um, you, you just pick your poison there. You got a number of guys, and I do expect them to actually uh, make a move here. Uh, I think that whether it's for a back-end ro- uh, starter, whether it's for um, uh, another bat there maybe to, to play in the infield, who knows? Uh, I do think the Nationals end up making a move that ultimately makes them a better team and makes them the one of those three that is most likely. Atlanta is a great story. It's a lot of fun. Um, but this division is going to beat itself up quite a bit. And I think eventually what you'll see happen, I think the Braves fade a little. I think Philadelphia hangs around. But ultimately, I do think the Nationals get back there and win that division it's just what I think. It's just, uh, you know, I, it's just one of those things that you can't predict it. And I know it's the end of May right now. The trade deadline's coming up in just a few weeks. It's going to get interesting. It's going to get fun. But uh, the National League is is a really exciting spot right now. The American League is exactly what we thought it would be. The National League, though, has been completely flipped upside down. The Dodgers are the team that scares me the most out there. They really do scare me. I don't know what's going on there mentally, but... You only hope that they figure it out and when they get, you know, Kershaw and everybody else healthy and they get them ready to go. We'll see exactly what happens. Big thanks to you guys for supporting the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, thephmedia.com. Get yourself some awesome swag. Find us on social media as always, Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. You can find me at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. And until then, I'll see you next week on Press Row.